Hi, it's me, Sophia Amoruso, founder and CEO of Girlboss, and you're listening to Girlboss Radio. Everybody's nail game is on point these days, and I know I'm not the only person who loves to see crazy nail art on Instagram. Whichever way you spin it, the nail game is a pretty big industry. But if we go back a few decades in time, well, nail polish used to just be nail polish. It was bland. It was a thing you grabbed at the drugstore on a whim. Or maybe you got a fresh manicure, but you weren't really paying for the brand on the bottle. That all changed with a little company called OPI. Yes, that OPI. It's the go-to nail polish for a lot of us. And on today's show, we're gonna hear from the co-founder and brand ambassador for OPI. Her name is Susie Weiss Fishman, and she's known as the First Lady of Nails. She actually co-founded OPI with her brother-in-law, and it started out as a dental product supply company 40 years ago. Stay tuned for my chat with Susie. We talk about why she wanted to grow OPI to be a lifestyle brand that would elevate nail color beyond just being an accessory. She also talks about what it's like to grow into your role as a CEO and how you can delegate tasks to other people. I feel like I had a new mentor while listening to Susie, and I think you will too. Here's our conversation. Welcome to Girlboss Radio. Thank you so much for joining me. Oh, my pleasure. I'm so happy to be here. It's such an honor to meet you. And coming in today, I realized, I mean, I guess I got a manicure, but I don't know whose polish this is. I usually reach for OPI because I know there's usually like a stack of like gel colors and there's names that I've just never heard of. And it's like, what is this off brand? And I just trust that the colors are going to be like well thought out and like innovative colors, not just another blue or anyway, I want to get into all of that. And I know that something you can't see when you wear nail polish is the name of it, mm-hmm. but I know you love naming things and I love naming things. So <laughs> I'm all, maybe we can name something together today, but I'm excited to get into that. Um, I start every episode of Girl Boss Radio with the same question for everybody who joins me. I know you did things prior to founding a company. Most of us have. Uh, you were born in Hungary. And I'm curious, what what was one of your early formative jobs? Was it, were you ever a waitress? I worked at uh, Dairy Queen. So you were. <laughs> you book- kind of. So, And I, since uh, those who know me, I'm an ice creamaholic. So my favorite job was uh, working at Dairy Queen. The reason is every evening at the end of the shift, we were allowed to take one something and mine was always the soft serve with the chocolate uh, dipped into the chocolate and that first bite of that crunchy chocolate it was memorable for me oh my god um so that was my my first job which was fantastic and and then you named your book and i will get into that a little bit later but i just want to like point out the irony in this you wrote a book called i'm not really a waitress but i think you may have just revealed to the world for the first time that you were Something like a waitress. So you should have named it I'm Not a Waitress Anymore, perhaps. That's okay. We don't have to talk about Dairy Queen. Um, what did you learn from that job, other than that you loved ice cream? Is there anything in, in your early in your early jobs that you've taken into what has catapulted your career into what it has been over 
your life? Um, from that and my other job where I worked in a clothing factory, putting the tickets in with the Denison gun. Um, but I learned from both of those early jobs is, first of all, you have to work hard to get ahead. Um, that's number one, patience. Sometimes when, you know, even when a job is not exciting or, or have the patience to see it through. When I used to have to put the tickets in with the Denison gun and I had to finish, let's say, 50 dozen, you know, it was, I'm like, okay, this is what I'm going to accomplish and I'm going to do it in a certain time. And that till today, every day I write down what I want to accomplish. And so many times when young people ask me for advice, I said, take it a little uh, daily uh, journal and write down what you want to accomplish that day. Cross it out if you did it. And if not, it goes on my next day list. Yes, I keep wanting to do that. <laughs> but then I dig down back 10 pages to find the day prior's to-do list and I can hardly read it. Um, so perseverance, patience, hard work, uh, and passion. Be proud of whatever work you do in life. When I served the ice cream, it had to be just in, not too much, not too little, just tall enough, that's well, so that, that the consumer expected the right amount of ice cream. Whatever you do in life, be proud of it. And, um, and be passionate. And that will go a long way uh, in whatever I did or whatever whoever does in their life. So you started something called OPI with your brother-in-law. Correct. And that was in Los Angeles in 1982? Yes. Can you tell me about that? Because And tell me what OPI stands for first, because everyone thinks I'm talking about a nail products business, but at first it wasn't. Yes. So the OPI stands for Odontorium Products Incorporated. And odonto in Latin has to do with the mouth. So uh, we come from the dental industry. A very similar chemistry to making dentures as the acrylic nail enhancements. If you remember in the early 80s, uh, salons were doing these long uh, acrylic nails. And uh, that is, a, again, very similar chemistry to making dentures. And we said, hey, the beauty industry would be so much more fun than the dental industry. How did you know? I mean, did, did you melt down some acrylic nails and compare the compounds? Or <laughs> We met a young chemist, a young polymer chemist, who was working in the movie industry in special effects. And one day he came into the dental supply business to buy some plaster. And we started to talk, and um, I think uh, somehow a nail technician came in to buy some product that uh, acrylics, and uh, conversation led to something uh, much bigger, an entire uh, business. And um, that's how OPI was born from the dental industry, and that's where OPI, we just took the initials, OPI, from Odontorium Products Incorporated. You sure you don't want to put that back on your bottles? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, so you said, let's let's create some acrylic nails. How did you know that they would be better? What was the hole in the market that you saw where you said like, hey, okay, this would be more fun, but why why should this be successful? What, what did you do that was different early on? Well, as in the professional side of the in market, which is what we started in, um, took the three bottles, the liquid powder and the adhesive agent, put a rubber band 
around it and called it the rubber band special. And I went up and down Ventura Boulevard and dropped it off at every salon. And I said, please try it and we'll be back. I'll be back to see how you like it or what you think of it. Made the powder finer. I mean, at OPI, I want to stress quality was always number one. So when you mentioned that you look at when you go into a salon and you look at many different uh, nail lacquers, but when you see those three letters OPI, you know that the quality is there. And that's so important for any brand. Quality, fun shades, and of course, the iconic uh, names. But Uh, a little bit later. So um, the quality was something that was very important to OPI. We made the powder finer. We made sure that it flowed so that when the nail technician was shaping a nail, that it gave her enough time before it hardens from the oxygen in the air. And uh, when I went back, there was only one question nail technicians asked me, where can we buy it? And we knew we had a hit. And so... The rubber band special was a hit. Great. A lot of people would have kept going and peddling their uh, nail products just one by one from salon to salon. How did it become a real business? Was it, it, I'm guessing it wasn't a mail order business, but from one nail technician, from you to one nail technician on Ventura Boulevard to what, five years later becoming the number one nail selling nail brand. You guys were the number one nail brand in the industry, right? Correct. Five years later. Okay. And, and and I know, you know, we're talking about the 80s here, which is, you know, earlier than some of our listeners have been alive. And they think, oh, wow, OPI became so big over so long, which is true. And I know you were acquired at some point, but five years is still really fast. It's uh, very quick. So we were growing very rapidly in the professional uh, industry, in the salon uh in the salon environment. So when you came in to have a service done, most likely people would would use OPI or sometimes not. And what we really wanted is to gain the loyalty of the consumer. We wanted somebody to walk into a salon and ask for OPI. And that we said we can do through nail polish. We called it nail lacquer. And I really... And it's funny because that's when Starbucks was growing like rapidly. And I remember the first time I walked into Starbucks, I was fascinated because, you know, I thought cup of coffee with something white in it, cream, milk, whatever, a sweetener. And all of a sudden I hear people asking for coffee with one shot, two shot foam, no phone. And I realized these people are having a coffee experience. It was no longer just a cup of coffee. It was a coffee experience. And when I went to, uh, to the office and I said, George, we need to get into color and we need to make it an experience for women. We need to, we looked at the professional uh, nail polish industry and it was Revlon Professional was the most popular. It wasn't sexy, it wasn't aspirational, it wasn't fun. It was just the color with a number. And, you know, today we would be called disruptors. We really rebranded the professional nail polish industry. So started in the professional side of the salon industry. And then the company really grew into the consumer's eye and became a global company uh, when we, we went directly to the consumer for her to know the brand OPI. How did you formulate the first colors? I always loved color. And George said, now, let's start with 30 shades. 
you can do that, right? I'm like, sure, no problem. <laughs> I really was not I, professionally trained as a colorist, but I worked with uh, a wonderful colorist who actually worked with Charles Refson many, many years before and uh, came out with 30 shades that are some still in the line today. What was your favorite of those 30 shades? You know, people ask me always, what's your favorite shade? My answer is the one that equals the most dollar signs. <laughs> Good answer. <laughs> We're not just creatives. <laughs> but, um, you know, I loved all the shades. Red, of course. I'm always a love reds. Uh, but Coney Island, Cotton Candy, Cajun Shrimp, those were all early, early uh, colors that I did. OPI Red. Um, I'm not really a waitress, of course. Like waitressing, shrimp, cotton candy. I think there's a theme here. <laughs> Food. I'm, I'm hungry. <laughs> Food. If you if you came to work at OPI, yeah. the, the everybody said five ten pounds easy the first six months because food was always really important for us. That's good. We need to eat to work and do other things. What color are you wearing now? I'm wearing. I'm not really a waitress. Oh my god. One of the top shades of OPI of all times. For some reason, it feels like a real honor to not only have you here, but have you wearing that color. For some reason, it's just like legend upon legend. I don't... It really tells women that you can be anybody, including a waitress, that you can have any dream and uh, you can be anybody wanted. At Girlboss, we're all about curiosity and lifelong learning, which is why I think Skillshare is a great way to explore new skills, deepen existing passions, and get lost in creativity. If you don't know what Skillshare is, it's an online learning community that offers membership with meaning. With so much to explore, real projects to create, and the support of fellow creatives, Skillshare empowers you to accomplish real growth. It's also incredibly affordable, especially when compared to pricey in-person classes and workshops, an annual subscription to Skillshare is less than $10 a month. Right now, I'm taking a great class called Presentation Essentials, How to Share Ideas that Inspire Action. As business owners, we're often in positions where we have to pitch, present, or speak publicly. And this class has been really helping me refine my presentation style. So explore your creativity and get two months free of premium membership at Skillshare.com boss. That's two months of unlimited access to thousands of classes for free. Get started and join today by heading to Skillshare.com slash boss. That's two free months of unlimited access to thousands of classes at Skillshare.com slash boss. When we build a small business as an individual, as an entrepreneur, or as an accidental entrepreneur, someone who you know co-founded a dental products company and became the largest nail care company in the world, was there a tipping point for you when you went from being like a small family-run business to like, oh shit, this is legitimate? What was that like? Very difficult. <laughs> Learning to delegate and to, for an entrepreneur and to realize that some other people can do things better than you. Certain things is very difficult. You know, I have an A-type personality, <laughs> love to control things and to let go of things was super, super difficult. But once you learn that, it really allows you to grow, the company to grow, and for the business to flourish. I, you know, what I did was great and amazing, and what my brother-in-law George did was amazing, but really it was a team effort. And the employees at OPI, 
were just these great employees who were loyal, hard workers, brilliant. And, uh, you know, George and I took them on a ride with us. I mean, it was a family atmosphere always, but everybody worked hard. And it really, to appreciate you, the team and to appreciate the workers and to share with them the wealth and the good and the growth was very important. And I think that was OP, one, OPI success. You have all of these employees, all of this responsibility. Did you ever feel like a fraud? Like, I don't belong here. Who is this? Who gave me all this money? I This is a mistake. Somebody's going to find me out at some point. What am I doing here? You know, I never felt that way because at the end you feel responsible for your employees. You can't just stop because now you have all these people that expect a paycheck on a on a Friday. And... Um, and you have to pay taxes. And as you grow, the, there are huge responsibilities on you. And you have to take those seriously. And um, sometimes the other thing to my success, people say, oh, my God, your company's so big. I'm like, really? I never I went to work every day and I had to do better than, you know, the the previous collection, the next collection had to do better. And, you know, that word anniversary is so important in in, uh, in business because you always have to anniversary yourself and it always had to be better. So I love what I did. I went to work. I loved the employees and uh, never kind of said, oh, wow, I don't really belong here. I love what I did. Delegating is really hard. And as an entrepreneur, you're doing all the things yourself in the beginning. You know how to do all of the most basic things when you bootstrap a business. You haven't brought experts in yet. And then you bring experts in and you have to figure out the things that you want to keep doing. And maybe what you want to keep doing isn't what you're best at. How did you learn where to fill in your weak spots and choose what to do and then delegate the rest? But the first time I realized because I was placing the purchase orders and I gave every purchase order the same number. And it really got screwed up when the the things were coming in, like really screwed up. And I'm like, oh, my God. And then I realized this is not something I'm going to continue to do is to, to order raw materials. So that was the first realization. And then the company grew and there are only 24 hours in a day. And it was, like I said, a realization that maybe not comes sometimes you you know the lesson comes the hard way because of that major screw up that I did in in purchasing and you know that cost money and in the beginning you cannot afford to lose any any money and then social media and I'm 64 years old social media was not something that I was born with and came naturally so immediately when you know we hired somebody and I said oh my god this there's this whole world out there and I I'm still learning every single day which I love to learn that's one thing you know we never stop learning and um, you hire you know creative marketing because it's just as a entrepreneur as hard as it is and it's, I don't know the exact moment, but these moments come quickly as your company grows. How did you know that when you hired someone to do that job, they were the right person to be your number two in whatever that area was? 
by by working with them by experience i mean you interview somebody you know somebody can have a great interview and be lousy at working there are no guarantees you you work with people you you give them the best shot for them to be able to grow and to to succeed in your company and uh, if it sometimes it doesn't work out and many times it does so you mentioned there's seasons in nail like what is the popular time to that people go by nail polish year round now i mean i think when we started seasonality was much more distinguished where you only wore light shades and you only wore dark shades during the fall or winter holiday season then i think when lincoln park after dark it was kind of a revolutionary nail color when uh uh, dark shades became mainstream. You know, it was no longer only the goth uh, wearing dark shades. And I think that really changed um, where you wore a nail color year-round. No more seasonality, which was fantastic. So back to the business, the early days of the business. How did you fund it? Was it just printing money? Did you have investors? Did you invest your own money? Like, how did it, even from the time... It was a, a small, you know, dental products business in a strip mall, uh, all the way to, you know, you were acquired later on. What? How did you get it off the ground financially? And then I'd love to hear just about the growth a little bit and also the exit. So uh, in the beginning, we um, self-funded and really never took money out of the business for the first three years. Nothing. I live with my sister and brother-in-law. <laughs> So I didn't have to pay uh, extra rent. And um, we really kept every, we took a salary, a small salary, obviously, to, you have to live on things, but really put every single dime back into the business. And even as the business grew, uh, the, we, all, we took salaries and profits always reinvested in the business. We believed in ourselves. We we believed in ourselves and we reinvested our money in ourselves, which I think was fantastic. And as the business grew, more money back into the business for for expansion. We had a line of credit from the bank, hardly ever used it. Um, as far as to the end, when we sold the, the company, you know, OPI was many times asked to be acquired throughout the years. We were People wanted to buy OPI. We were successful. We had a good name, a, an amazing brand. And um, at some point, you look back and you want to take money off the table. One reason. Also, George and I were the only executives in the business. We had a great management team, but it was basically flat. The two of us and then a management team and then the employees under and in order to, to take the company to a bigger level, especially globally, it was the right time to, to be acquired. And you sold it to Cody for what is, I guess, rumored about around a billion dollars, which is no, no big deal. Did you own 100% of the company when you sold to Cody for whatever it sold uh, for? I, George and I. Oh, my God. Owned the company. <laughs> Good job. Uh, what was it like, you know, it's your baby, as people call their businesses, uh, decades of building before this transaction, before the company was acquired. What was that like? Was that terrifying? In my heart, very sad. <laughs> it's, a, it's a huge transition. I stayed to work for Cody for five years, and I'm still working as a consultant. <laughs> um, 
it was it's it's a difficult transition it is if i if i would say otherwise i wouldn't be telling you the truth it is difficult but you also have to be kind of ready in your mind so in my brain in my mind it was the right move in my heart it was difficult we have a lot of both guests and listeners here on girl boss radio who are entrepreneurs running e-commerce businesses so and i've talked a little bit about shipstation but i want to talk about shipstation just a little bit more whether you're selling on your own website or selling in marketplaces like etsy or ebay shipstation will make your life so much easier by bringing all of your orders together into one place you can use it on your computer or on your phone and ShipStation helps you figure out the best way to ship every package. You can create shipping labels for all the top carriers globally and locally, including UPS, FedEx, and USPS. And they offer discounts on shipping costs because they're buying postage in bulk, so you get the benefit of that. We use ShipStation here at the Girl Boss offices. We absolutely love it. And right now, Girl Boss Radio listeners get to try ShipStation free for 60 days when you use offer code GIRLBOSS. See for yourself why ShipStation is rated number one by online sellers. Just visit ShipStation.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in GIRLBOSS. That's ShipStation.com, then enter offer code GIRLBOSS. ShipStation.com, make ship happen. So we've talked about naming colors and colors. What do you love so much about naming colors? I think the names of OPI, Nell, Lacquer have become such a huge part of the brand's DNA. And it really takes women um, into this world of magic. People remember the names of the shades. So I think it was a huge, huge part of OPI's what I say, magic, growth, and also how the consumer identified with the brand. How do you know when you have a good name? (laughs) There's a naming committee, so there was about six of us, and we all had to agree that we liked, uh, you know, a name, and uh, we kind of, if we're fun, a little crazy, but fun people, and it took about 12 hours uh, to name the shades, so a whole day we would sit and kind of throw out names, and we all had to agree on it, and uh, we all, there was always food. Do you still name colors today? I'm still part of the, yes. Amazing. How fun. That's like it the is. most fun part of the job, so it is you absolutely. have to keep one. Um, and I imagine when you started naming colors rather than like red number one, red number two, became a little bit more challenge, maybe more initially more challenging friction for uh, consumers to find the color that they wanted or for even, uh, you know, salons to organize their colors based on a number of shades was there. Did you experience any challenges there? I mean, you, you changed the way people thought about even just organize the entire like organization of their colors, right? So we thought of this, that it will be a challenge. You're absolutely correct. And that we were the first ones to print the color chart so that the consumer can take the color chart home and she can identify the color with the name and that the salons can, uh, you know, put their the colors on the shelves as a rainbow from light, light, middle to dark shades. So we thought of that and that was a huge 
huge for the consumer to have something to take home and to study the shade. So when the next time she went to the salon, oh, I would like this color or I would like that color. And that was one of our smart moves. Color is such a powerful thing. You know, when I go to the produce section at the grocery store, it's just sometimes just fun to look at colors, right? It's It transports us in a way that I don't think we really give it enough credit to. Um, I, uh, I agree with you. It, and it's a, such a way to self-express. Uh, really, and nothing is taboo on nail color anymore. I mean, you can wear any color. It becomes a conversation piece. You can change it as often as you like. It's instant gratification. You can go to a salon to do it. You can do it at home if you like. And it really surpasses any socioeconomic level, any age. I mean, girls from young and boys from young to to my mommy, who was 95 until the end. She went to the salon to have her nails done. And you were also one of the first brands to make dark nails a trend. Um, and it, I mean, that became something that's kind of punk, right? Women had to be pretty and light and pleasant and have our seasonal colors and are, I don't know what light colors in their mauve, and then in the wintertime, maybe like a slightly deeper red. Um, how did you, when this happened, was was it a reflection of the times? Absolutely. I think it was revolutionary when dark nails became part of mainstream. You know, it wasn't like you, you mentioned punk or the gods that wore those. All of a sudden, women, proper women in boardrooms wore dark nails. But not only did they wear dark nails, they wore them year-round. On their nails and on their toes, you would go to uh, vacation and you see all these women with dark nails on their toes. So it was really revolutionary and it's, and it, I don't think it has stopped. It really said that you can wear any color and that it was okay. And, you know, sometimes you can do that in color cosmetics on your lips or on your eyes, things like that. But on your nails... You can have dark shades, you can have glitters and uh, micas and nail art and all those things that really shows who you are. And maybe you want to be sexy that day or you want to be fun, you want to be serious. You can really do anything and everything on your nails. And that's not the, I mean, you've innovated in so many ways. Um, Under your guidance, OPI was one of the first nail brands to do celebrity collaborations, Hollywood collaborations with Coke and Dell and Mustang, and I'm just so curious how this came about, because at the time, I guess I read that you didn't know what public relations was. Um, So tell me just about like the, you know, building a public brand, but also getting into partnerships with really legitimate brands and businesses. I really wanted OPI to be a lifestyle brand, to really elevate it much more than just nail color. You know, I always said it's an accessory. It's an amazing accessory for any women. And I thought a lifestyle brand, being in Hollywood, um, collaborating with the studios, with movies, was kind of a natural almost. And then celebrities, you know, when you hear your famous, uh, uh, your favorite artist, you would think of OPI. When you were on your laptop with Dell computers, you would think of OPI. When you drove your favorite Mustang, uh, you would think of OPI. There were polish changes that we were doing in dealerships if you bought a a Mustang. Uh, Teamed up with um, Maytag dishwasher and I did a color called um, I Don't Do Dishes. I said every woman in America needs to have that on her kitchen counter. Did you hire an ad agency to do this? No. Coca-Cola 
you know, to companies that, you know, it's all about happiness. We went to Atlanta, pitched it, and Coke Red was became the uh, number one, one of the number one red shades. Um, you know, other soft drinks, my favorite drink is Diet Coke. I must admit it. On here, Diet it's, Coke. It's kind of a cool millennial thing now, I think. Diet. I'm so happy. <laughs> so, uh, wait, so did you pay Coke or Coke? Nobody paid anybody, right? It was a partnership in terms of the getting the name Coke on the color of one of your polishes? Yes, actually, uh, no, there were no uh, monies exchanged. Sometimes there were royalties paid, but m- many times there, there wasn't. I mean, that's a great, that's, I think a lot of us don't realize how much opportunity there is for collaboration, even with big brands. And the brands were very receptive to OPI. For example, James Bond 007 Skyfall. We were movie integration and did the Skyfall uh, collection. I'm a huge James Bond fan, so I love that. Um, And I think what we delivered to these corporations is the female audience. And that's what OPI had, and that's why all these collaborations were hugely successful. And since then, the nail industry is just... I mean, since you began, you exploded it, and then it's continued to explode. Why do you think it's continued to explode so much in recent years? I think nail art continues to to grow and to really explode, and social media really helps to to explode the the trends because you see trends now globally. There's no longer the American woman or the French woman; it's the global women. And trends that resonate here resonate all over the world. And women want the same. So social media had a huge part in that. Uh, nail art continues to 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 play a, a huge role. And as I mentioned before, it's a instant gratification. You can change it as often as you like. So, you know, no matter what socioeconomic level you are, and that 30 minutes to an hour in a nail salon, it's really that mini vacation that all of us look forward to. Uh, I love to go to get my nails done. I look forward. I look in my calendar. When is my next appointment? And so you mentioned social media, and that's a big part of why nails continue to explode because it's shareable. There's you know so much freedom in terms of how we can express ourselves. Do you have any tips for taking photos of our hands? Because it's really hard. The one thing that women must never forget is to moisturize their hands. I always say, you know, we do so much to our eyes and our face, but sometimes we forget about our hands. And you can always tell an age of a woman where you're much younger than I. So. Should I wear driving gloves? Yeah, some people do, I've yes, especially in it. the sun. I'm only 35 and I have straight up, like, these aren't freckles. <laughs> like, we live in Southern California. These are like liver spots or something. So. <laughs> no, no. I'll just keep painting my nails really bright so nobody I notices. think uh, protecting it from the sun while if you're driving a lot is not a bad idea. But And moisturize, moisturize, moisturize. And so you're, you said you're type A. Uh, it sounds like you're a little bit of a perfectionist, and that's why your products were better than everyone else's and continue to be. Tell me about product development, because you can think something's better, and it may not actually be better. How did you measure better? How did you improve the product? Were you asking technicians, how could this be better? Were you holding focus groups on you know, color and formulations? What was that like for you? How did you get better? So a couple of things. First, George and I worked trade shows. Long Beach, 
uh, Midwest beauty show in Chicago, the New York beauty show, um, some distributor shows, to really speak to the nail technician personally. I mean, it's, you know, sometimes people sit in their office, but you really need to go to the street and speak to nail technicians and ask them, you know, what are we doing right and what are we doing wrong? I'll bring you an example of the brush, nail nail polish brush. You know, it's always a round brush. And then it kind of dawned on us, you're painting a flat surface. Why would you have a round brush? And we made a flat brush. They used to be round. Yes. Thank you for fixing that. <laughs> a flat brush, of course, would lay the color much smoother and easier to paint. So those kinds of things, the personal connection with your audience or who you are selling to is extremely important. And sometimes things get, you know, if you have people that bring you the message, it's sometimes nice to hear it personally of, um, again, in the industry of what uh, we're doing right. As far as the nail lacquer colors, looked at trend predictors out of Milan and Paris, like Peclair, those trend books that usually like $50, two years, $50, yes, <laughs> two years <laughs> out, <laughs> that what kind of t- color trends, but not only color trends, but societal trends, because all those things are important to color, um, the different uh, micas, like I said, or different uh, nail art that you would be able to achieve. So all those things were were also very important to coming up with uh, the colors. As far as a focus group, I never had one. If I had a focus group, it was in the carpool lane and I was picking up my kids and I would say to the moms as I was waiting, A or B. Cool. <laughs> and that was my focus group. I always said, I was, I'm a mom, a woman, a consumer, uh, a working uh, woman, I am the focus group. So I, and one of my greatest successes was making decisions. And most of my decisions were right. And if I made a mistake, as my father would say, catch the next train. That train has left the station. And I think that was, that was something that I, advice every make a decision oh my god we're in heavy recruiting mode here at girl boss we are hiring a social media manager we're hiring a social media manager we are hiring for audio figuring out what the future of podcasting looks like for girl boss we are hiring a project manager to work on experiential and events there's a whole bunch more openings coming and I have to say ZipRecruiter has been a godsend. If you don't know what ZipRecruiter is, ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job sites, but they don't stop there. They match your jobs with the resume of people who have the right experience, and ZipRecruiter invites them to apply for your job. You can even add screening questions to your job listing so you can filter candidates and focus on the best ones. ZipRecruiter is so effective that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. To try ZipRecruiter for free, you can go to ZipRecruiter.com slash girlboss. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash G-I-R-L-B-O-S-S. ZipRecruiter.com slash girlboss. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. You're also a mother. 
Yes. Um, so I just you built a massive business, right? Uh, how have you balanced parenting uh, throughout your career, throughout the years? Um, and what would your advice be to entrepreneurial moms who are trying to quote unquote do it all? The best advice is you can do it all. And, you know, I always say give yourself some, some grace. We no, none of us are super, super women. You need help. I was very lucky that my parents were an amazing help to me. And I, I'm married, I have a husband, so we, we shared in, in the upbringing. Each of us played a, a role uh, in our children's you know, lives as far as sports and school and, and all those things. A uh, lot of guilt, and it's okay. I always tell young moms and working moms, it's okay to have guilt as long as you have help to make sure that when they're home, they're taking care well care of and I traveled a lot and when I closed the door and my daughter would say mommy please don't go and I left uh, yes there was a lot of guilt but uh, it's what I chose and I always encourage people to do what works for them don't you know what you read or what somebody else does what really works for you and it's okay to to feel guilty to go to work to do all those things have the proper help and don't beat you yourself do, up and never yeah i mean i think what i realized when i got super duper busy is that i was also always disappointing someone i was felt always guilty about not being able to see a friend or being out of town for their birthday or and i don't even have kids but at some point like you're saying no to something and when it's your friends and family it's the hardest thing but it's an indicator that like maybe something good's happening in your life hopefully yes and it's okay yeah. It really is okay to do that. So we all make mistakes and we haven't really talked about many of yours because you've done a lot right. Uh, Susie, what what was your biggest career mistake? You know, it's a question I'm asked often. And, um, you know, did as far as uh, product, we launched uh, lipstick, didn't really do uh, enough uh, homework. Um, as far as time to launch a lipstick and time not to launch a lipstick and what can happen, you know, blooms and those sweat marks in the summer and it was a total disaster. Is that what happened? What happened? <laughs> Just tell me what happened. <laughs> so we launched lipstick and shipping it in the summer and they all, what you call, bloomed when there are those little sweat marks on it. Look like they have a disease. So a million lipsticks came back. <laughs> oh. So that did hurt the company a lot. The the best advice when something like that has happened is to move on as quickly as you can, launch something else that will make money, and then the loss becomes less of a loss. Uh, as far as on a on a personal note, any major mistakes, I really have been lucky. Again, great f support from my family, my husband, and. Um, I did what I did and uh, never looked back. You should be proud. What was your biggest, I mean, it sounds like maybe that's your biggest career victory, but also career, let's not say personal. I mean, you can do both, but personal victory, career victory for you. To be recognized by my peers and my industry that I was the first lady of nails. <laughs> and I was like, really? But actually I love when I was called that. And I think that is because, you know, people say things, but when the biggest critics is people in your own industry. And, you know, there were other people in the professional beauty industry that were, you know, selling nail lacquer and marketing nail lacquer. I mean, OPI was 
the largest, but not the only one. And to be, you know, recognized and to be respected by people in the industry, for me personally and professionally, was huge. So what's next for you? I'm a grandma. <laughs> oh, as of when? Six months. Wow. So I am enjoying every single day of being a grandma. And um, his grandbaby in Los Angeles. Yes. Okay. Very lucky. That's good. So that's uh, next. And really, my I think my role now is to help young people. I often speak at uh, business schools or universities and uh, mentor people, help them. I'm working with some kids at the Marshall School at USC. Uh, they're kind of doing these projects where they actually have to do something physically launching, how to launch a product from A to Z. I've been to the Northridge Business School. I spoke to them. So I think that I'm enjoying tremendously. And if I can just help and inspire one young person to do something, I've done good for the day. Are you going to write another book? I'm not sure. I, I wrote this book really because I think storytelling is so important and what we do best women we tell our stories and that's what I try to tell uh, young people and it's also I try to tell them about all the wonderful relationships that I made and did professionally personally throughout my life and how that has helped me to be who I am today. Susie has a book called I'm Not Really a Waitress, which you can buy anywhere books are found. It's her story, everything we've talked about and more. Um, Susie, what does success mean to you right now? Success means to me, well, first, to have freedom as far as time to do things that I never had. Maybe just read a book and that's okay. <laughs> Maybe go on a walk and that's okay. I don't have to look at the clock. Or, oh my God, I got to be back. I only have 15 minutes to do this, you know, so I better walk fast. <laughs> I can actually walk leisurely. I can spend time with my grandson. So being able to, to go to lunch with my daughter or my son. So those things are amazing. But I think it's very success. Yes, you have more money, but material things after a while. Stuff. Yeah, you just, can only, it's just stuff. stuff. But if I can help, as I mentioned, if I can have people that are less fortunate in life, both through mentoring and helping them become successful entrepreneurs themselves, because I think that's even more important sometimes than just handing somebody a check is how to Yes, helping financially for those that are unable to help themselves, but the ones that can help themselves, to show them, to teach them how to become entrepreneurs, how to become successful, how to be financially independent. Actually, I'm sponsoring a financial literacy program in high schools for girls because girls don't know. They have zero idea what it's like to live on a budget What's overdraft? What if you have to pay interest because you, you borrowed too much money on a credit card? I mean, we know what it's like to quote unquote live on a budget, but like not actually a budget, just like live on a little bit of money, right? Right. Yeah. So I think all these things are, are extremely important to me. And this is what I'm, you know, I choose things uh, I, to, to help. Uh, and again, young people. If they ask me, somebody asked me to come on a Saturday evening. She gets every once a month these millennials together. And there were 12 young people there. And they said, oh, my God, you showed up. I'm like, why wouldn't I? And that was 
And they wouldn't let, after two hours, I said, I got to go. And my husband oh, got two hours. Wow. <laughs> and it was, a, it was amazing to, you know, we actually did uh, specific things that people wanted specific questions. There were general questions, how I did things. And I, I tell them it worked, but sometimes you have to, you know, do things differently. And we, we talked things through. So those things make me extremely happy. And I think that's my, my role professionally. It's really it's really a privilege when you get to a point in your life and we can always do more for other people, right? We can all do something for other people. And I'm feeling like, I mean, I'm 35 and you know, girl boss, I'm still like a thousand percent. My, my calendar is booked, but I finally feel like I have the headspace to like mentor people and help people for the first time because I'm not like floundering, trying to keep a company solvent, like financially and all of the like, because I Girlboss was acquired at the end of last year, and I'm even busier than I was. But it's so interesting to feel yourself um, have the space to give back to other people. Um, whereas I was like, I'm doing it. I'm doing it at scale. Subscribe to the Girlboss newsletter, which is like also true. But to really take the time to do it uh, and give that to people on a personal level is so gratifying. I agree with you a hundred percent. So appreciate the simple things in life. And then help others, whether financially or personally, uh, you know, help them to grow and to achieve what you've done. It's amazing. It's fun. It's free. <laughs> it's free. And it lives past you. Uh, so we have something called Girl Boss Moments on Girl Boss Radio. Our listeners know what it is for you. It's a time in your most recent history that you were just really proud of something that you did for yourself. Maybe not because culture validated it or someone expected you to, but... Uh, a moment when you're like, yeah, I, I read this book. I took a walk and I didn't look at my the clock and or I canceled something I didn't want to do and said no. What was your most recent girl boss moment? My most recent oh wow, there are a lot of moments uh, lately, which is so which is so nice. And uh, you know, I never used to go to lunch with my friends. They always I would never even if I had a lunch like girlfriend lunch. I was. But then it was a choice of leaving the office, going to the lunch and having, I canceled like all the time. Oh, I never canceled. <laughs> I go to lunch with my girlfriends. <laughs> Good. And I love that. Yeah. I actually was a, met my girlfriend yesterday for lunch and she said, you showed up. I said, why would you think I didn't? Because she said you never used to. I'm like, oh my God, I want a terrible reputation. Well, I imagine you can eat at any restaurant in Los Angeles. What's your favorite right now? I just have to ask. Oh my God, so many. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for joining me on Girl Boss Radio today. This has been a blast. My pleasure. All right, that's our show for this week. Thank you so much for listening to Girl Boss Radio. I'm Sophia Amoruso, your host and founder and CEO of this whole thing. And I'm really grateful that you're listening. So if you love Girl Boss Radio, please share Girl Boss Radio. Share our link on Apple Podcasts, wherever podcasts are found. Subscribe, write a review, leave a rating, and screenshot the episodes that you love. Tag me and tag Girl Boss. Tell us why. All right, that's it for me. I'll talk to you next week. <laughs> <laughs>